The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Yeah, just go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about your dog life journey. Okay, well, my name is Kathy Pavlich. I actually, um, as a breeder and exhibitor and a judge of Bearded Collies, and I started long, long ago in 4-H, raising sheep and rabbits and well, coming from a large family we didn't have many dogs because my father thought everybody would want their own dog so it wasn't until I got married that I actually got my first dog and my husband bought me a German Shepherd for a wedding present and I started in competitive obedience which was my dream was always to do that and after a couple of years doing the obedience with my German Shepherds I had several by then I found this delightful little dog at a fun match and I wanted to know what it was and it was a bearded collie so, being that I love to read and research, I spent the next couple of years uh, going to shows and talking to breeders about very collies and what they were like and the grooming and the training. And I bought my first bearded collie from a well-known breeder in uh, New York, Dick Schneider, who since passed away. And he was my mentor for years, and that was 1985. And we went on to compete in confirmation. From there, I ended up having several dogs that I bred of different bloodlines. And we've done agility. We've done herding. We've done obedience. And the newest thing that I've kind of gotten interested in is dog diving with my bearded collies. Uh-huh. So that's a short synopsis of the bearded collies and where I am today. So it's been about 35 years. And I'm on to my seventh generation of bearded collies. Wow. And could you tell us um, what about the bearded collies that fascinated you in the beginning? Well, um, one of the main reasons was I was looking for a little bit smaller dog than a German Shepherd. Uh, One of my older Shepherds got ill, and we lived kind of in an isolated area. I was not able to pick him up and put him in the car by myself, and I decided I wanted to breathe that if anything ever happened, I was running in the hills or we were stuck, I could carry my dog out. And a beardy, a female, were around 40 to 45 pounds, and the male's about 50, and I could still pack a dog like that if I had an emergency and carry it. And that was the one thing, was I was looking for a medium-sized dog. And uh, back then, you didn't need to do as much grooming as you see now, so that is, is a little bit of a detriment because there's a lot of grooming out if you're going into the show, uh, show ring. But in reality... Um, what really attracted me was the fact they're so happy. They're just the happiest breed you can be around. They never have a bad day. When I was at a show and investigating, I came upon some people that had some beardies that I've known for years now, and they had five males in an exercise pen all flopped on top of each other. Okay. And I said, they're all males? And he said, yes. And I said, they all get along? I said, oh, beardies get along with everybody. And that exuberance and that bounce and that happiness they just make you laugh, and that was probably the main reason I thought this is going to be a fun dog to show. Right, absolutely. Can you talk about the history of the Barry Collie? And yes, it's it's actually fascinating. Uh, in my research over all the years, uh, Barry Collies almost went extinct during the the World War II, and then they were brought back by 
one woman and they are a working breed but as a herding breed they're not a dog that's used in close in the corrals you'll see them at herding trails but they were actually used in large open areas with the stock in scotland and they do have a bark and that bark is used to drive the stock and that they can tend to go back to a line called the Hunaway, which is a barking dog that you'll actually see in in australia and new zealand and so their main focus was um, herding. I would I would never get a bearded collie for a protection dog. I always, I tell people that because what they'll do is they'll they'll open the door for somebody and say, "Come on in," and they'll be your best friend. Uh-huh. Uh, they're they're not a guardian dog. They're definitely a herding dog. And that instinct, which is fascinating about the bearded collie, even though people do trial them, very few people have been breeding for that instinct and get it still there, and it's very strong. Mm-hmm. And they they come in four different colors, uh, and they have what's called a fading gene, which means a black bearded collie is born black, and by the time it's a year old, it could be a platinum color, where a blue bearded collie is born blue, which is a dilute, and a year, it could be a darker color. Mm-hmm. So you never know what color you're going to end up with. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of called the chameleon of the dog show world. They change colors their whole life. It's fascinating. And I have a hard time explaining it to people when I said, look at their nose. When you look at their nose, that's the color the dog is. You've got a black, you've got a blue, and a blue has a blue nose, a fawn has a fawn nose, and a brown has a brown nose. And then sometimes you can run into what's called the non-fading black, which is a breed that does not change color, and that's pretty rare in the breed. Uh, You don't see that very often, and a lot of times they say the non-fading black has a softer coat, Mm -hmm. and a bearded collie has a harsh outer coat. Uh, It's kind of fascinating as far as the colors, genetically, what bloodlines they're carrying, what they're not. And in the last, oh, I can say 10 years with the health test and all the DNA, now we can actually test the dog to see what color that they're carrying. Uh, as far as genetics, mm-hmm. because some may, I had a fabulous dog that I imported from um, Holland. His name was Hagen and he did not carry any color but black. So no matter what color the puppy he had, they were black. He, he could breed into a blue, he'd have black puppies. And mm-hmm. we didn't have to test then, and, and he actually passed away before we even had the DNA. Mm-hmm. But he never, ever in his whole career ever produced anything but black. Yet his sister in Holland produced uh, several different colors. So it's, it's, the genes to be are just fascinating. Mm. Oh, well, the overall standard, um, we don't have any disqualification of the standards, but we have what are called serious faults, okay, which means you can basically show anything, but a serious fault, like myself as a judge, you, you need to know the standard for the serious faults, and one of them is soft or silky coat, mm-hmm. overly trimmed dog, scissored, they're not to be scissored whatsoever, height over and above the, or below the standard. They're trying to keep the dog a medium-sized dog. And then your standard AKC, you know, things like no, they don't want to see a shy dog, you know. So a female is to go between 20 and 21 inches. Height over or under an inch above uh, is to be somewhat penalized, but it's acceptable. And a male is, is to be 21 to 22 inches. I have seen giant dogs and I have seen small dogs, but they're trying to keep them a medium-sized dog. Mm-hmm. And th- those are the main issues you're looking at when, you, when you're judging. I'm looking for the temperament, number one, and the sound structure. Mm-hmm. Because a dog that is structurally sound, 
and moves beautifully, has a good temperament, you're going to have less health issues with that dog because a structurally sound dog is not going to break down. You should be visualizing that when you see them moving in the ring that they're doing very little wasted motion mm-hmm. of movement. Um, I could see a female 40 to 45 pounds. If they get a little on the chunky side, they could go to 50 pounds. A male probably 50 to 55 five pounds. I've never had one over 50, but I'm also a runner, so my dogs run a lot. Mm-hmm. And, and I like to keep them nice and lean and fit. I have heard of dogs going up to 70 pounds, but I think that's probably a, a dog that's been overfed. Right. So medium-sized dogs, females, 45. The females tend to be a little bit more independent than the males. And it's funny because people always call, I want a girl, I want a girl. And I go, well, if this is your first bearded collie, I'd probably get a male. And, and people are like, what do you mean? I go, well, the males tend to be more clingy to their owners and a little bit. Not that I haven't had females that weren't, but in reality, the girls tend to be much more independent than the boys. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are using them now for therapy. Uh-huh. You will see Barry Collies do fabulous going into, you know, into hospitals and children's center. Uh, in the sport, in AKC and people that we have dogs, you actually find a lot of agility. They do fabulous in agility. You see them a lot in herding. Um, you do see them in obedience, but not as much as you would see in her- agility because they, they tend to be the clowns. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a dog that might go visit everybody outside the ring because right. they love people. Uh, you see them mainly as companions. Most of the people that contact me have had bearded collies. They're, they love them. And they want them as companions and family dogs. The downside of a berry collie, and I tell everybody right off the bat, is the grooming. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you need to stay up on top of them. Um, and if you're on like in a ranch or something, I say you, you really got to you know, trim their feet so they don't pick up foxtails. Because mm-hmm. uh, they'll pick up everything and bring everything into your house. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is definitely grooming on the dog. Uh, I think of staying within the standard. When you go in the ring... And, you, and say I'm judging a dog show and I see a dog come in and it looks like a girl. It, I want it to look like a female. I want to know that that's a female without it having to look at the book and making sure that it's come in. And I want the male to have masks and the males are going to be bigger. They're going to carry a little bit more coat. The main concern I have for any breed that I have, especially the Vera College, is a solid temperament. Mm-hmm. I want a dog that can handle everything that's not vicious, that's not shy, that's not aggressive, and that's not spooky. That is, You do tend to find a little bit more of the sound sensitivity in some of the herding breeds, mm-hmm. and I've seen that with bearded collies. Socialization is really important that you get them out, and teaching them when they're little not to jump on people. I mean, that sounds like a minor thing, but bearded collies will do that the rest of their life. Seriously, mm-hmm. they, you would never know that you had a 12-year-old in the house. Somebody would think that this dog is probably two years old. They just love people. So the one thing I really concentrate when they're little is not to jump on people. Because you've got grandma coming over, and you don't, you, you don't want to have to lock your dog up all the time because they're knocking grandma over. Right. That's one thing you really have to work with. But you, you couldn't ask for a friendlier dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're just, they just love people. And... You know, if people are a little afraid of a dog, a bearded collie is a great dog to introduce them to dogs because right. they're, they're not going to cause any issues with somebody that's fearful. Mm-hmm. 
and how are they to uh, train, especially for um, the show ring and, and the competition field? They're, they're very easy to train. I have to say that my biggest thing is trying to teach a puppy to stand still. Uh-huh. Um, because standing still is really hard when somebody's coming up to them and, uh-huh. and saying hello and they just want to give everybody kisses and all that. Um, it's a consistent and positive reinforcement is what you want to do almost all the time. Correcting a bearded collie, they're, they're going to be devastated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if you just work with them several times a day, I just had somebody send me a picture of their new puppy sitting on top of the dining room table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she says, I think we're starting boot camp next week. And I said, uh-huh, uh-huh. So they're clowns. Um, they can be escape artists. They can go over fences like, you, like they're standing still. Uh-huh. Uh, but they like to be with with their people all the time. They love to go to places. Um, they like to be part of the action. It's very common for the bearded collie clubs all over the United States have what's called a bearded collie bounce. <laughs> and you could turn 30 beardies out and they're having a blast. Right. And they're all running. And it's called the beardy bounces and they hold bounces all over the United States. Wow. Yeah, they, they really do have a lot of fun. And they're very gentle dogs. Uh-huh. Um, really, really gentle. And the puppies are really smart. Um, and they grow up smart. And I, I tell people, I say, you know, you know, we talked about this. I have border collies and bearded collies. My border collies don't get near as much trouble as my bearded collies do. Mm-hmm. They can figure out how to open gates, open latches, and just go visit everybody. Right. Um, several of the health issues that they dealt with recently has been some autoimmune diseases. And so one of the most important things I tell people if you're researching a breeder and you're looking to buy a puppy, make sure that they've had their tests done that are recommended by the Bearded Collie Club of America. Mm-hmm. And that would be um, hips, uh, eyes, and thyroid. And that's what's required. There's a program through the Orthopedic Foundation, OFA, which is called CHIC. Mm-hmm. And CHIC, the way CHIC is set up is the breed clubs determine the health issues. And if you do these tests on your dogs, you're awarded a CHIC certificate. And so it's kind of really important that you follow through with hips, thyroid, and eyes. There's also elbows that is, are being done, and they've, they've started some new research into some autoimmune diseases mm-hmm. that come up. But the main, main issues right now is, is eyes, hips, and thyroid. And usually if you, you get yourself a good thyroid panel on your dog and they're clear, that eliminates a lot of issues. Right. It actually has really gone down quite a bit. I was talking to another breeder the other day, and she was concerned that people just aren't breeding the bearded collies much anymore because the fancy the people that have shown the dogs have gotten older. Uh And we don't have a lot of young people coming into the sport. And so what's happened now is people are having a hard time finding um, bearded collies. And I tell everybody, I just had somebody write me this morning, and said, if you need to get on a list with a breeder and talk to them when they're, they're planning their nest. We just don't have puppies that somebody calls and you pick up a puppy. Right. I don't have the n- exact numbers for you, but I know it has gone down quite a bit. Right. When I first started showing dogs, it was nothing to have, oh, possibly 20 or 30 bearded collies in the ring. Now, maybe three, you know, maybe four, if that. Right. And our nationals are, are still good, and our specialties, which are just for the breed, are still good. With what's happened with the COVID this last year is everything's been canceled. So a lot of people aren't even breeding because of the COVID because there's no way to transport dogs or to get them to different spots. Right. And so the numbers have gone down. Um, and I, I do think it has a lot to do with uh, COVID coming up, 
and the fancy as in what I call the people that are showing the dogs are getting older. I was, I want to say that I was 30 when I first started and I'm in my 60s now. Mm -hmm. I'm considered a young judge. (laughs) So the sport is a lot of people are getting quite a bit older. We need more young people in there is what we need. I think a lot of the factors are it's become quite an expensive hobby. And when you're young, do you have the money for motels? Do you have the money for gas? Do you Mm -hmm. have the money for entries? It's not, it's a a luxury hobby is what it is. And you have to travel. Like, you know, we talked about where I live. Mm -hmm. My closest show for me, they have one local show here. Unfortunately, nobody comes to it because it's so far away from most of the main areas. Um, It's five hours away. And that's through the mountains, and that's, and then you've got hotels on gas, and I think the young people, unless their parents are actively engaged in that, right. um, can't afford it. I, I just do think, it, and entry fees have gone up, uh, and it's become a very, very um, competitive sport. Mm-hmm. And so most of the people that I used to show with are now hiring professional handlers to show their dogs because they're just not physically able to run around the ring. Mm-hmm. And some people are also going to smaller breeds right. that they can handle as they get older. And I seriously think about my dogs and my age and, you know, do, do I want to have that many dogs because who's going to take care of them if something happens to me? And mm-hmm. so I think that is one thing why the older people aren't participating as much mm-hmm. in the sports. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's the dog sports. I think it's a lot of sports. I think it's a lot of activities that people used to, you know, participate in that are no longer. And a lot, what's happening in the clubs now is they're not getting new people in, uh-huh. young. And a lot of the older people are not, they're getting tired. They're tired of doing all the work all the time. Right. That's what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure you hear that from other people when they talk to you. It's yeah. just that it's a hard road to hoe to put on a dog show and then like for instance what's happened with the COVID in the beginning when they canceled the show everybody lost all their entry fees they lost all there was no refunds at all wow. so people are hesitating about entering because they might not get their entry fees back or their motorhome fees mm-hmm. you know so th- that's something that's happened I was on the slate to judge up uh, in Washington this year and they canceled the show at, you know, the last minute because of the COVID and well, they'd already bought me a plane ticket. I mean, you can imagine all the money that's been put in right. to these shows and when they cancel it, they don't get their money back either. So that's a financial burden on some of these clubs that maybe are just on the edge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think could um, rejuvenate some of this? Do you think maybe, because I know that there's there's been a... Um, uh, since since COVID, there's been uh, a few attempts at having uh, virtual dog shows and virtual competition. Do you think um, something like that could help? Well, it, 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 it would be hard for me. It doesn't appeal to me because I, I guess I come from the old school, and the whole yeah. point of dog shows is to judge your breeding stock. And the only way you could judge your breeding stock is you need to put your hands on those dogs. Right. And, you know, you, you can hide an awful lot through grooming. I mean, that, that has been done. And so I think we're losing the whole idea why we all got into showing dogs and we're comparing our breeding stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I think would have helped dog shows over the last couple of years has been introducing when agility came in, herding is fun, uh, they've got fast cat. They've got a lot of different 
things are coming because people want to have fun. Mm-hmm. It, it becomes, and like I said, I just went locally here to a dock diving competition, not competition, it was, it was an, oh, uh, set up. And uh, even though my dog didn't have a clue what she was doing, I thought, boy, this sure looks like a fun sport. And you wouldn't believe the people that showed up because they wanted to do this. It was just, it's something fun. Mm-hmm. So I think if they put more emphasis on, you know, having something the family can do and the, the kids really enjoy. And I have to say, agility is fine. It's great, but it entails a lot of equipment and classes and stuff. Dock diving is these kids are, there was a lot of young people in there doing the dock diving, throwing a, a dummy off the, the ramp for their Labrador to jump in. And there was a miniature um, dachshund dock diving. Awesome. So that was, oh, I went there and I went, oh, my dog doesn't know how to swim. I don't think she'll dive. And that was what happened. But it inspired me that, boy, this could sure be a fun sport. And it has really grown. So I think if they put more emphasis on the fun and making things fun, I think that could help rejuvenate it more so. Because a lot of young people aren't interested in breeding dogs. They're not interested in competing in the, in the dog world. Mm-hmm. And it, it's become a very competitive sport. You've watched Westminster. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And it, it's become a big money sport. So, you know, young kids just don't have the finances to be doing something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as with any dog, they do have a herding instinct, uh-huh. okay? But what we learned years and years ago with our German Shepherds, Beardies, and our Boars, we do not allow our dogs to chase cats uh-huh. at all. Uh-huh. We have got three cats, and I've got pictures. Of, I, I should have sent you these pictures of my dogs all lined up, and the cat's just sitting there watching the dogs play. <laughs> the dogs know they do not chase the cats because I think what happens is you get into trouble when they go over the edge on prey drive because an animal's running. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got my little corgi sleeps on a bed right now, and unfortunately the cat's taken over a bed and she doesn't know what to do about it. <laughs> they all get along. I've got cats, I've got dogs. I do not allow them in with the livestock because I do have sheep and I have horses. Uh-huh. They're not allowed in, in with the livestock unless they're working. Uh-huh. They're not allowed to chase. They're, not a, they're, they're, they're taught to behave and not to chase. You know, and then they're taught properly how to gather stock. But the berries get along with everything. I mean, I, I have yet to have one that didn't get along with everything that is in my house. I just introduced one that was a year old that came back to me, and she just thinks she's landed in heaven because she's got five berries around with there's border collies, there's cats, there's sheep, and she's this is wonderful. Like I said, that joy for life that they have. Uh, and I'm sure that there has been some issues, but it's not, I'd be more concerned about my, my old German shepherds with the cats in the beginning than I would with the bearded collies. Right, absolutely. And they get along with kids, they love children, they get along great with kids. Uh, even if they've never met a kid, they love kids. You probably don't have to deal with this too much being in, in Humboldt County, but how do they uh, do in, in, in the warmer uh, that is an issue. That is an issue yeah. because um, Humboldt County is so cold. There is a lot of people that I know that live in hot country. Uh-huh. Uh, and my biggest issue has been going like down to the Bay Area or into Sacramento in the summer and showing it's just too hot for my dogs. I mean, it's not fair to put them in a 100-degree temperature when they're around 65 degrees normally. Right. Um, I do clip down some of my dogs, and people say that you shouldn't clip them down, but... Being in, in the livestock world, if they were gathering stock, they'd overheat very fast with the, the heavier coats. Right. 
Uh, they do like to swim. Uh, they do like to go in the ocean. Uh-huh. They do like to go in water. They, they're great dogs around. But when I was talking to a friend of mine, I said I was literally about placing a puppy down by her, and she's in Bakersfield, and she says, Kathy, to be honest with you, when it's hot, they come indoors. We have air conditioning. We don't, we don't leave them outside when it's that hot. And I said, yeah, in Humboldt County, we don't have air conditioning. Yeah, right. So, you know, so I don't really worry about that. But even this last week, it was warm, like it hit the 80s up here, which uh-huh. is almost in her. And they were laying in the shade. That was, that was enough for them. They weren't, gonna, they weren't running around. So they, they seek the shade when it's hot. And, um, but there, but I was going to say there is a lot of beardies in Arizona, in Southern California, in New Mexico, uh, and on the East Coast. Right. You know, well, my parents live in Wisconsin, and they had a beardie for fifteen years, and they they bring her inside. It was just you know too hot, yeah. too humid yeah. for her. So what's a what's a typical diet that you uh, feed your bearded collies? Are are they sensitive um, to foods or? There, there's some beardies that are, a lot of people do feed raw. I don't feed the raw diet. I, I just feed a, either pro plan, a, a good diet with carrots and bones and uh-huh. treats. And and they, my dogs have always done really well on that. One of my first beardies, she had issues, and I did some tests on it, and said she was allergic to chicken. So I switched her over to chicken. Mm-hmm. I haven't had any of those issues. The biggest problem you run into, I think, with the breed is it living on the west coast of fleas you know as far as that goes because if they scratch and you're showing them they're going to rip coat out so right. you really have to have a pretty strong flea program right. um and they seem to be real sensitive to fleas so that that's something that you need to pay attention to with them right. of all the breeds that i've had i know they're sent they get one flea and they go crazy right and what's uh is there a difference of of how you trim the coat when you're, say, in the in the agility field in the show ring, and what's the theory behind that? Well, um, a lot of people that are showing in agility are also showing in the show ring, so you can't trim the coat. You can tidy up the feet, uh-huh. you know, so that they don't slip. And as a judge, it doesn't bother me if they're if they're slightly trimmed on the feet because if somebody lives on a in a house with carpeting, that they're not going to wear that hair off. And then when they run agility, you're allowed to tie the hair back out of their face. You cannot trim it if you're showing it. So a lot of uh, people that I know, that I've known over the years, including myself, we've done multiple venues at the same time. And within our club and several other clubs, they have what are called versatility awards. So you have to compete in confirmation, you have to compete in hurting, you have to compete in obedience and or agility or tracking is something too that a lot of dogs are doing now. So you need to keep them in show coat, but you still, you know, want to keep the hair out of their face when they're doing agility or hurting. So, uh, you know, you'll trim up their feet and tie their hair back, and that's about it. Now, if you're just doing hurting alone, you could clip the hair out of their eyes because they have to be able to see what they're hurting as far as that goes. And you're not supposed to trim between the toes. You're supposed to, they've got a hairy pad, but that's also going to pick up a lot of stickers. So if you're running your dog and hurting, you better stop and examine all their feet when you're done and make sure you don't have any stickers between their toes. I was going to say, basically, you don't do that much because a lot of the people 
in these venues are all going for versatility awards. And it is a very versatile dog that right. you can do all these things with them. We, you, if you go to our Berry Collie Nationals, they, they have actually awards for dogs by how many points they win by competing in each venue. And they've got to compete, I think, in at least three venues to be eligible for the awards. So say if you you win in your class, you get so many awards. You win best of breed, you get so many awards. You win obedience, you get so many awards. And they're versatility awards. And it's just, it's, it's fun. And, and you're very proud of your dog that they can do all these different things. Right, absolutely. I've been doing it for so long that most of the people that come to me are previous bearded collie owners mm-hmm. or somebody who's gotten a puppy from me, which is really nice because then you know them. But if there's a new person calls me, my first question to them is, have you ever had a bearded collie? And what do you know about bearded collies? And why are you looking for a bearded collie? Uh-huh. And then, then we start from there. Because if I get somebody that calls me and says, I want a bearded collie, but more like a golden retriever temperament, I go, no, that's not a bearded collie. <laughs> you want a bearded collie. Right. And I explain them the negative aspects of the breed. I'll say, do you realize there's a lot of grooming involved? Do you realize that they bark? Do you realize that they jump on people? These are all things that you need to think of uh, before looking at a puppy. Have you been around bearded collies? Have you visited any bearded collies? Do you know anybody that has bearded collies? Can you afford to have the dog professionally groomed, or are you going to do it yourself? Mm-hmm. And those are all the things that I would ask a prospective person that's looking at bearded collies. And then if they had a bearded collie, I will say, well, how long have you had the bearded collie? Where did you get your bearded collie? Um, Did you have any health issues with it? How did you go to obedience class? And do you have a fence chart? Because that's a big deal to me, is a fence chart. And that's where we start the conversation, and I just feel the people out. Because I do get a lot of requests, and my first thing is, why do you want a bearded collie? And I'll ask them why. Um, and sometimes they'll get some really thoroughly researched, and some people are just a whim that they just want a shaggy dog. Right. <laughs> but the biggest thing is for them to meet a bearded collie. You know, that, that you, you've got to go to somebody, and then I'll ask where they live. And the bearded collie world is pretty small. And so they say, oh, I'm in Colorado. I say, oh, you've got to go call Kim. She's a veterinarian, da-da-da, and she's great, and she's got bearded collies. And if you could go visit her, and they go, oh, okay. And, and bearded collie people are really friendly about opening up their house to people to come see their dogs. The first thing I would do is I would join the Bearded Collie Club of America. And then I would start interviewing breeders uh-huh. and seeing if you... Um, connect with that breeder because if you buy a dog from somebody that you connect with you get along with and you ask them about their history they're going to be your mentor because we have a mentoring program i had a young gal that bought a dog for me three years ago two and a half years ago and she wanted a pet but it was a really really nice puppy she picked up and i said oh what the heck because my girlfriend kept saying oh that's what your top show puppy well after she had her she called me she says i really want to show and breed and i said okay then we're gonna have to co-own the dog together because I'm not putting a dog out in a breeding program that you're not going to do the health test and all this. Well, we've we've become best friends, best friends. And she actually finished the dog herself. She drove all the way up to the nationals, and now she's in the breeding program, and I'm mentoring her on where to go, and she's done all the health tests, and she did everything right. And I can send somebody, like if somebody calls me from the East Coast, I'll say, you know what, I'm not the person for you. 
you need somebody. Here's some people on the East Coast I want you to call. You're within driving distance. That's what you need. You need somebody. and Because the pitfalls would be, you know, finding a male to breed to, getting your health test done, and you need somebody that could maybe come to your house and help you whoop your first litter. Those, I've never had that where I live up here. I've kind of learned on my own. And then also, too, is I'll send somebody a series of books. These are the books that you need. These are the best dogs. And any question you have, call me, and I will answer your questions. And then I can steer you in the right direction. Because uh, I didn't have any of those available to me, so I joined the English club. I've actually been to Europe twice and interviewed breeders all over Europe uh-huh. about the different bloodlines because I wanted to see where my dogs came from. Uh-huh. And I wrote letters. This is before the Internet. <laughs> I was writing letters to everybody. Yeah. And people would write me back from Europe and say, this is what we got. And I'd say, what did you get when you bred this dog to this dog? And i get these long you know, letters from people. Well, that's how I learned. So a line of communication, if somebody writes me an email and they say, hi, I'm looking for your bearded puppy, how much? I usually delete that email. Right. You know, they're not, they're not saying, hey, I'm really interested in the breed. I really am thinking about doing this. Or if somebody writes me and they say, you know, I just want a pet. I don't want a show dog. And I said, there's no such thing as just a pet. You want the best bearded collie you can get to live with your family right. that is healthy and structurally sound, uh-huh. regardless, you know, of what you're doing. You, you know, don't say just a pet. Uh-huh. And that's what I tell everybody. Uh-huh. And if you keep your standards high and you breed, you know, t- dogs that are basically have what you feel are the attributes of the breed, you'll stay in the breed for a while. And longevity is something you want to push for also. Uh, the average age is 12 to 14. And I'm basically seeing dogs that if taken care of and exercised and fed right, they're living to be 16. I've had one to 17. Um, so those are questions I would ask and bring them up to people right. when they're looking to get into the breed. Right. I think the biggest thing is people get discouraged when they get a dog and they want to show and they don't do well to start. Uh-huh. And I tell them, you haven't been in the breed long enough. You need to go to more handling classes. You need to buy some. The internet, YouTube now, you could just punch in anything and you can find some good trainers on YouTube. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of tests that are applicable to the bearded collies that are available right now. There's a new one that came out two years ago called CEA, which is called Collie Eye Anomaly. And what's really cool about that is that you can test your dogs and find out if they're a carrier or if they have it, or, and then once you know that like, they aren't a carrier or they are a carrier, you know which direction to go in. And that's affected a lot of different other breeds. The bearded collie people have always been behind their dogs. Um, I don't think it's hurt them because so many, so fascinating, so many of the show quality dogs that people are showing, they're still having working ability. Mm-hmm. They ha- still, it, we haven't gotten that differentiation like say in the Border Collie world, right. where you see almost two different breeds in the show world versus the working world. Right. And uh, I've always stood really strong on health tests, but I, when I first started, my very first German Shepherd was severely dysplastic. So when I got into the bearded collies, a lot of people weren't x-raying. They weren't doing a lot of the things, you know, 35 years ago. Right. And I was adamant about it. I was adamant about x-raying hips and eyes and thyroid and doing all of that. 
And I said, down the road, you're going to really benefit because you're not going to have lame dogs. They're not going to break down. You're going to have a stronger gene pool. And so I think there's not been a differentiation. There has been some talk about bringing some other breeds in because they want to bring in some of the working lines. And I do myself have a problem with that because you don't really know if, if they really are working bearded collies or they're bearded collie, border collie cross, which is very common. Uh-huh. You'll see that now. A lot of people are crossing the two breeds, and it's, it's not uncommon to see that. And I don't want to introduce into the bearded collie maybe some defects that the border collie is carrying that we don't have. Right. And one interesting note is the very first registered border collie in history, its mother was a half beardy. Okay. Bearded collies came before border collies, believe it or not. Right. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating. So I think we're in a good spot because we have a, a good group of people that are protecting the breed and they're very careful about the breed. And we have Bearded Collie Rescue. And I get people all the time, goes, I'll take a rescue dog. I said, the problem is we don't get a lot of rescues. And the only rescues we usually get are maybe some out of a puppy mill because there's a few puppy mills in the United States. Right. I said, because most Bearded Collie people that breed dogs, if there's an issue, they take it back. They don't, it doesn't go to rescue. They take it back and find a good home themselves, you know, for it. But I do get a lot of people that tell me they'd rescue a bearded collie. And I go, well, you're going to be waiting for a while, you know, because we don't get that many mm-hmm. in. And the, what's kind of cool about all the DNA tests and everything that's going on now is we're able to do things that we couldn't do years ago. And also, too, is I think it's keeping a lot more people honest. Because everything is online now. You, you go to the OFA, you look up a dog, you see what health tests have been done to that dog. And that's great, you know, because it's, it's all open. It's like an open book. And that's something I'd like to see in a lot of breeds. I was looking at a breed, another breed that I was looking at, and I looked up the dog and no health tests done on the dog. Uh-huh. None. Zippo. Uh-huh. And I said, you know, I, I said, I'm not interested. I, I said, there's certain tests that are mandatory that you do on certain breeds. And it doesn't guarantee that you're not going to have an issue down the road. It's just if something comes up, you point to, I did this. I did do the health test on all the parents and uh-huh. grandparents and all that. It's, it's just a backup. You do the best that you can what's available for you at the time. I was, in, in 2014, um, I judged the Bearded Collie Nationals on the East Coast. Uh-huh. And you, you need to talk to people after the show about what you saw. Uh-huh. And I said, I, I said, our breed, I feel, from when I first started, has gotten stronger and stronger. I said, the one thing I want all of you to bear in mind is really breed for that structurally sound dog. Because a structurally sound dog is not going to break down. And if you don't know what a structurally sound dog is, go to somebody and have them show you good shoulders, good body length, good rear angulation, you know, no weakness in the dog. And I said, and it's important because your pet people are going to be doing the dog sports. Mm -hmm. And a dog that's structurally sound, like I said, is not going to break down. It's going to live a long, happy life running and playing. And I said, we need to pay attention to the structure on the dogs. And there's a lot of seminars you can go to. There's a lot of videos you can go to. There's a lot of books that you can do. But it does take you... You know, I see several years to get to the point where you, you know, can put your hands on a dog and you know what. And people have come up to me and said, well, what do you like about this? And I said, well, you know, close your eyes and open your eyes and I'll show you. This is how you go over a puppy. This is how you do this and this is how you do that. Mm-hmm.